Tonight we're going to talk to you about the tabernacle plan. And the reason for that is because that the Bible has a lot to say about that in the Old Testament in the scriptures that we've been reading here in the last uh, few weeks. And I don't know how many of you are reading the Bible through, but I want to encourage you. It's not too late. Good. God bless you. I know several of you are, and uh, and I know and others I know that's told me, God bless you. I see hands everywhere. But just keep reading the Bible through, and sometimes you get into areas where you read a lot of things about the Old Testament, and you say to yourself, this is all Old Testament. What has that got to do with me today? And so I'm going to deal with one of those uh, subjects here today. And, of course, it causes us to ask questions about how does that apply to us and uh, what's, the, what's the purpose of it for us here today and the value of reading the Bible through like this. Uh, in reading the Bible through here, we came across the Exodus 25. I think the reading now is in Leviticus. I know it is in the book of Leviticus, and uh, we're reading about all the facets of the law of the Old Testament and how precise God was about so many things, so very precise about it. And he'd tell Moses, this is exactly the way I want it done. And he talked about it, and he came to that place in Exodus chapter 25, and these are not scriptures that I'm going to read, but I'm going to put this on the overhead here. Let me put this on the overhead for you. Now, you've got two sheets there. One is a sort of a man-made drawing of the tabernacle plan. This is the outline of the paper that we're using here. And uh, I'll bump it up here a little bit. Get it a little closer for us. And I'll focus it in just a second. And we'll get a focus on it here. Okay. And uh, we're going to get right into this because, and then later on I'm going to refer to the chart, the other chart that you have, and talk about the details. And this is the other page that you have that's been handed out to you is the one that's attached to that one. And uh, it, it looks like this, as you well know. We'll come back to this in a little bit. And this is the tabernacle plan, how it was laid out. Now, this is, of course, man-made drawings, and I'll show you some other man-made drawings as well that has to do with the tabernacle. But I just want to mention here to you that in, the, in, Levitic, in Exodus chapters 25 through 27, this is three chapters in the book of Exodus, the Lord tells Moses how to build the tabernacle. Every little detail is there. Now, as mentioned later on over in some other parts of Leviticus and also in Deuteronomy, but here in Exodus, it gives it all the detail. And if you've been reading the Bible through, you have read this already. And you probably said, man, did the Lord really detail-minded. So I'm going to, from time to time, refer to some of the things we've been reading and reading the Bible through. At the end of the year... We're going to have a dinner for all of you who've read the Bible through. We'll have a dinner that be on us, you know. And uh, so we're going to, all of you folks just read the Bible through. If you haven't started, you get started, and I'll give you the rights to speed read some of it. <laughs> I don't mean skip it, just speed read it, you know. Get, you know, how many of you can know how to speed read? 
Okay, several of you do. Speed reading is a good thing to be able to do. And uh, so you can get through some things pretty quickly if you have to. And uh, so we're already through Genesis, through Exodus, and we're in the book of Leviticus now, in the third book in the Bible. So if you want to get on the bandwagon, you can. And it's probably maybe along the way, along about halfway through the year, we may... We may just have a dinner together, all of us reading the Bible through just sort of an inspiration dinner together, you know. We'll have something like that. So we'll let you know about it if that's the case and everything when we come to it. But I just want to encourage all of you, if you will, to read the Bible through. And uh, this is why that we're talking to you here about, uh, the, uh, about the tabernacle plan here today. Now, uh, I'm not going to read any of these verses except one verse in chapter 25 and verse 8. One verse in 25, 8, and that's the, uh, the second verse that we've got right here. And uh, these others were chapters, chapters 25 through chapters 27, four, uh, three chapters there. And then Exodus 28, 8 is, is stated very plainly here. And it says, and let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell among them. This was the reason why the Lord wanted this tabernacle, as we call it, the sanctuary to be built, was so that he would come down and be on this earth and have a presence, a place for his presence to be on the earth. And it was a forerunner of the temple. Now, Moses was given the instructions on how to build the tabernacle and for 500 years after they got into the land of Canaan, this was their church. It's, it stayed with them. And uh, later on, when David came along, David desired to build God a, a beautiful edifice in the place of just the tabernacle. And the Lord granted him that wish, but said, you can't build it. It'll be your son, Solomon. So Solomon built what we know of as the, the Temple of Solomon, but the layout, the design, the plan, everything followed exactly like the tabernacle was. And God gave them specific instructions on how to do that. And it followed the same outlet because in this was hidden the New Testament plan of salvation. And in it was, was hidden the wisdom of God for the spiritual kingdom that he would one day set up on the earth. Now, we'll get more into that as we go along here. Uh, I uh, want to have a look at the overview here, uh, the overview of the tabernacle plan. So I'm going to have you, if you would, to uh, look at this chart that you've got. Then I'm going to show you another one here and talk to you a little bit about it. This is the one that we're going to be looking at. And I'll get into this one a little bit further on, a little bit more detail. What I'm going to do right now is show you a tabernacle. This is another artist's drawing of the tabernacle, how it probably looked after it was all made and finished. And uh, this is, like I say, is an artist's drawings. And if you look at this very closely here with us, uh, this was the outer enclosure all around it here. And this was the tabernacle itself. We'll get into the details more about it in a few moments. This is the way it would look if you were standing out here just looking at it. This was the brazen altar in which sacrifices were, were made. And this is the labor of water in which the priests always had to wash before they could ever go inside of this uh, tabernacle 
to minister and do the duties that were also required inside and so forth. These were all dimensional, and uh, they had some very, very, this was 150 feet long right in through here, this outer enclosure wall, 150 feet long. And uh, if you don't know how long 150 feet is, uh, it's about half of a football field that'll help you. It'd be like the 50 yard of the goal line. This in the front here, across the front here, was uh, 75 feet wide, 75 feet wide, 75 feet wide at the back end as well. And uh, this gate here in the middle, so-called gate, this, these petitions were taken, these bales were taken down. Uh, this was 30 feet wide here, 22 and a half feet on each side, 22 and a half feet on this side. And these you see these columns here were made of shittim wood. Everything that was made of wood, many things were made of wood in here, was made of what was called shittim wood. It was a wood that was built, uh, that probably a wood, that, a tree that grew in the wilderness, and it was a hardwood, a hardwood type uh, wood, and it was it would not rot, and uh, it was called shittim wood, and everything was made out of this shittim wood. First of all, they had access to it. Second of all, it was a very tough wood, lasting wood. Second, third of all, it would not rot. And so because of all those qualities, the Lord said, use shittim wood. And so these posts were made of shittim wood. And uh, these posts in here and other things were made as, this were made of shittim wood. These were, this was seven and a half feet high. This wall outside here was seven and a half feet high. Now I tell you that so you understand here that when the Lord had this made, nobody could look over into the tabernacle yard, so to speak. Nobody could look over into it. The Bible says, all have come short of the glory of God. There's none righteous, no, not one. All have come short. This was seven and a half feet. So nobody could come here and be so tall they could be looking over. But they're always below this. And when they came to bring sacrifices, the people, they always came to the very front. Now, the tabernacle always faced the east, always faced the east. If I understand it right, that's east. Is that right? I think I got my bearings right here. That's east. So it always faced the east, and the gate was always in the east, and the brazen altar and the labor of water that was on the outside here were also faced the east. And uh, they were positioned so that people could bring their sacrifices in here, and they could come right through here. This was all taken down every morning and then put back at nighttime. And then they would come and bring sacrifices and whatever. And there were all kind of rules, laws, uh, specifics on what kind of animals, when to offer them, how often to offer them, uh, under what conditions and so forth. And that's not our subject tonight, today. But I just want to point out to you here that these things were very special to the Lord. Uh, the, these posts here were made of that shittim wood overlaid with, with brass, overlaid with brass. Nothing would rust out here, nothing that they made. This was made of brass. This labor of water was made of brass. Everything outside of the tabernacle itself that was made of, was made of brass. And when it was wood, it was overlaid. This was of wood overlaid with brass. This was all brass, the labor of water. So forth. Now, 
these items here lets us know that God had a specific plan and a reason for giving us all of this. Now, I'm going to give you another picture here. Uh, this is a picture that you have here of the tabernacle. I've shown this one so that you'll know how it actually looked. It's flat on the top and uh, came down. Uh, this tabernacle had uh, layers of material. It was uh, linen with uh, purple, linen with scarlet, uh, uh, linen with uh, with blue, blue, scarlet, and purple were the colors that they used. And then there was uh, goat's hair. Then there was badger skins dyed red. Uh, this was all laid on top. All of that material, the Lord put it on the hearts of the Jewish people to bring that to Moses. He said, bring it to Moses. And they brought it. And he says, now, and they came, they brought, he said, I want your gold. The people came bringing gold. Nobody told them. He said, of their free will offering. The people came and they brought gold rings and gold that they had received when they left out of Egypt. This all happened two years after they had left out of, or even within the two years that they had left out of Egypt. And so they would bring all of this material to them and they had everything that they needed and they actually had to tell the people, we don't need any more. This is another very unusual thing that the Lord had to do about the tabernacle in that Old Testament. He told, uh, he told Moses, he said, I have chosen two men. One is my first choice. The other is the, is his helper. And he says, these men have the skills to do all the craftsmanship that they've got to do on this tabernacle. And I will give them the understanding, the knowledge and the wisdom to be able to do it. I'll give it to them. I'll do it. And, and so these men were chosen by the Lord. One was, uh, was the main guy, the other was his worker and helper. And to these men, God gave unusual wisdom of craftsmanship. What they did not know, he helped them to do it. Now, every little old thing here, every little, every little old ring, every little old rod, every little thatchet, every little hook, everything that were hooked together was all spoken by the Lord of how they were to do it. And everything that was metal, on the outside here was all brass. Everything that was on the inside uh, was, uh, would, would be gold here. I'll get into that in a few moments. But I'm just pointing out to you here that God was so very exact with everything. Now, I'm going to give you another picture here of a, of a tabernacle. This is another artist's drawings. And uh, this looks like this. Now, look at it very closely here. This shows the tabernacle, the, the outer enclosure, and this shows the tabernacle itself inside, and it has been cut away so that you can see the inside, the inside of it. And I know it's a little dark and it's hard to see there. That's why I've got other charts here. I'm going to show you in a minute. But I just want to have a reason for showing you this. This is the gate that we talked about. Here is the brazen altar where they offered the sacrifices. Here's the labor of water where they washed before they would go into the tabernacle. Then there was a veil that hung down in front here that they had to always go past and go through. And inside the tabernacle was a shite of wood of boards all around on the sides. And then the, all the hangings came all the way over from one side clear over to the other side. You can't see it too well in that one. I'm sorry. Here's what I want to point out to you here. The tribes of Israel were fashioned like this. 
Now look how specific God was about this. That Aaron's tribe, he had three sons, and his three sons, one of them was the priesthood, and he was always on the east side. The other three sons were Levites. They were the sons of, I'm sorry, the sons of Aaron was, was priesthood. The other sons of the Levites were on these other sides. They were the workers. They were the ones that put this together, the ones that took it apart, assembled it, carried it, handled it, and everything else. And they were always up close. Now, these tents here uh, was where they were. Now, beyond this tabernacle, after their, their tribes was up close to the tabernacle, then beyond that was these other 12 tribes of Israel. There were three tribes on the south, on the south side, three tribes on the east, three tribes on the, on the west, and, and then on the west side, and three tribes on the, on the north side. When they broke camp, now this was, this happened within two years, and after two years, the Lord had it all finished, and said, okay, now we're gonna walk. And really, he intended for them now at this time to go in and take Canaan's land, but they backed, they didn't do it and failed, so forth. But every time they broke camp and moved or went to a different place, they had to disassemble every, assemble everything, and that's what the Levites would do. They would disassemble it, they would get it all together, they had rods, they had staffs, they had, they knew exactly how to do it, how to package it together. And how to carry it. It had to all be carried right. No animal could carry it. No beast could pull a wagon and put it on there. It, it was, uh, it was, the Lord said, no, it had to be borne on the backs and the shoulders of men. And I'm going to tell you this today. Salvation is still on the shoulders of men and women. It's not the beasts that do it, but it's the people that God has chosen in this life. Now, when they marched, these tribes in the front here, this was, I, I can't read the tribes, but anyhow, Judah was the first one here. This one on the east side was the one who marched first. Behind him was the one on the south side that would follow behind him. Then the one on the west side would follow the, 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 the three tribes that would be on that side, and they would march around like this. And then whenever they had marched, when this tribe and this tribe had gone out, then the tabernacle and the Levites would come in behind these two groups of tribes. There were six tribes here. Are you with me here? Does this make sense to you? And then they would start marching. And they'd march across the, through the wilderness, they'd march across the deserts, wherever they had to go. And then the tabernacle and the Levites would be behind the groups here that was on the south side that would, and they would follow them, follow them around. And then after the tabernacle followed, then this on the west side would follow them, and then the ones on the north side would follow the one on the west side. So you had six tribes ahead of the tabernacle, and you had six tribes following the tabernacle, and every time they moved, they moved in that fashion. Because God was so exact about how they would handle and carry Everything, everything. The Lord was very particular about all of this. Now, I'm going to go a little further here because I want to show you some things here that about this tabernacle. Uh, this is a another picture here of that one up close. 
and it's, it's, it's a cutaway of the tabernacle, but I won't try to use it. This, of course, is a priest because they talked, there was also given to Moses how the priest's garment should be made. Every little detail, including every stone, there were 12 stones in this little thing and that he wore on his chest. And every stone had to be a particular type stone. Like one was a sapphire and one was a ruby. One was something else, a diamond. And every one of them, and they represented the 12 tribes of Israel. And everything that he had was like this. Everything, everything was so detailed, right down to the oil that they used and the censers and the fragrances and everything was so detailed that God had given them and done that for them. Now, uh, this is a cutaway, and I'm going to go to this chart here to show you a better example of it. So if we were to look at, let's go back to this chart here. Let's go back to this one right here. And I'm going to talk to you a little bit about what these things represented here. These objects on the outside had a significant meaning. The brazen altar represented repentance. Now, that's in your notes. You have your notes there. I know I've got the notes covered up here. But the... Move that pen there. Uh, they apply here. They had they had different representations, and they meant certain things. And all of these things of that Old Testament were types and shadows of what we have today. And before I mention what those types and shadows are, let me have you read those scriptures. So, if you have your Bibles here, let's go to some verses of scripture right quickly here. Praise the Lord. Look in First Corinthians. Read this very quickly here. 10, 11. 1 Corinthians 10, 11. Now all these things happen unto them for ensamples, and they are written for our admonition, admonitions upon whom the ends of the world are come. So this is a scripture letting us know that it wasn't just for them, but it's also for us. Also, I'm going to go to Romans chapter 15. That should be in your... Scriptures there. Romans 15, 4. For whatsoever things were written aforetime were written for our learning, our learning, not about the Jews, but about ourselves and about our own salvation. It doesn't say that here, but I'm just put, putting that in for what. And another verse of scripture that's, that's mentioned is Hebrews chapters 8. Hebrews chapter 8 and 5, who serve unto the example and shadow of heavenly things. I'm going over to the ninth chapter. This is, we're in Hebrews here. Hebrews 9 1. The 9 1. Look at 9 1 with me. Let me uh, take this off for just a minute. I'll come back to that. We're at Hebrews right here. We just read 8.5. We're at Hebrews 9.1. And we're going to read 1, 1 through 5, and then I'm going to read verse 24. 1 through 5. Then verily the first covenant, that's the first, the, the first covenant is the old, 
the word covenant and testament is the same, same thing. Old Testament and Old Covenant is the same thing. New Testament, New Covenant. So we're in the New Covenant or the Second Covenant. This was the Old Covenant. It says here, Then verily the First Covenant had also ordinances of divine service and a worldly, worldly, or a physical sanctuary. A physical. In other words, it was a real thing that you could touch. Verse 2, for there was a tabernacle made, the first wherein was was the candlestick. Let's see, there was a tabernacle made, the first wherein was the candlestick and the table of showbread, which is called the sanctuary. And that's what we're going to show to you here in a moment. And uh, after the second veil, the tabernacle, which is called the holiest of all. We'll explain that when we open up the curtain and look at the inside of it. Verse 4, which had the golden censer in the Ark of the Covenant, overlaid round about with gold, wherein was the golden pot, which had manna and Aaron's rod that budded, and the tables of the covenant. We'll talk to you about that in a few minutes. And over it the cherubims of glory, shadowing the mercy seat, of which we cannot now speak particularly. The writer of Hebrews here, believed to be Paul, was writing about it, and at the time he wrote this, in the time of the early church, this Ark of the Covenant had disappeared. They didn't know where it was or what happened to it. This Ark of the Covenant, they, didn't know, they did not know. There's been many stories and things talked about what happened to the Ark of the Covenant. And I won't get into the detail, but this movie has been made about it. You know, the Lost Ark, Indiana Jones and the Lost Ark. That's all about the Ark of the Covenant. And I'm just saying, folks, the things in the Bible here is with us today. It's still with us today. And they still don't know. I knew a guy, read about a guy that was a multimillionaire guy, multimillionaire out of Texas. And made a lot of money on oil. And he decided he was going to look for that, that ark. And he went over there and he spent hundreds of thousands of dollars and years and years looking and looking and looking and looking and never did find it. Never did find the ark. He tried. He went down all over those caves along the Dead Sea and everything else trying to find the ark. I'm just trying to say here that Paul, way back there, said of which we cannot now speak specifically. Now, I'm going to look at verse 9 here. This is 9-9, which was a figure for the time then present in which were offered both gifts and sacrifices that it made him that received his perfect. Now, I'm just pointing this all after you here, that these things were all... They were all types and shadows of things that were yet to come. Now, uh, let me go back to this chart here. And then I'm going to show you the one that we've got, I'm going to use here. But these are types and shadows. This represents repentance and this represents water baptism here. Now, I'm going to go to this chart because this one gives us the layout very good. And I'm going to show you this. This is the one that you had with your notes. Right here. The one you had with your notes. This is the ark. I mean, this is the, uh, this is the brazen altar where all the sacrifices when you walk through the gate. The brazen altar were made, and this is the labor water. This represents repentance. Look in your notes, if you would. I wish I had two of these overhead things with me right now. 
The brazen altar represents repentance. Everybody see that? The brazen altar represents repentance. The old court. The outer court. The brazen altar represents repentance. Look at Luke 13. I'm going to show you here how important repentance is to salvation. Look with this, if you will, in Luke 13. Luke 13. And I'm reading two verses, and they are identical, but they're words of Jesus. And they were spoken just a couple of verses apart. 13.3, Jesus says these words. I tell you, nay, but except ye repent, ye shall all likewise perish. Notice here he was saying, except ye repent, ye shall all likewise perish. Repentance is essential. And then he goes on to talk in verse 4, but in verse 5, he says the same thing. I tell you, nay, but except ye repent, ye shall all likewise perish. Twice he says it. It's got to be very important for him to say that twice. Praise the Lord. Now, I'm going to have you also to go to, to uh, Luke 20, uh, 24-7. This is in your notes as well. Luke 24-7, right here. Where's my little pen here, that little pointer? Right here, 24-7. Is everybody still with me? Have I, yeah. All right. Look at 24-7. And that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name among all nations beginning at Jerusalem. So when the Lord talked about going to all the world and preach the gospel, he said that repentance had to be preached. You preach that people repent of their sins, turn to God, they turn away from what they're in, and they turn to God, and they repent for the Lord, repent unto the Lord for their sins. Now, let me go to another one here, and this is uh, Acts, uh, Acts 17.30. And the times, this is in the book of Acts, and the times of this ignorance God winked at, but now commandeth all men. If you've got your Bible, put a ring around the word all. And commandeth now all men everywhere to repent. So repentance, repentance is required of the Lord as a first step to be saved. First step. And then, of course, I could never, of course, not speak of Acts 2.38. <laughs> and I'll mention Acts 2.38 here and talking about repentance. And it simply says here, Peter is preaching, of course, to the multitude and people had just received the baptism of the Holy Ghost. And they said, what does all this mean? And he was preaching to them. Verse 38, then Peter said unto them, repent, repent, and be baptized. In the name of Jesus Christ, permission, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. And I want to emphasize here that Peter said unto them, repent. So repentance is mentioned here all through. And that's just a token here of some scriptures that we've given you. So the brazen altar here that we have in our diagram that we're going to be using here represents repentance. It represents repentance, and re this was the place where they offered their sacrifices and the animals that they brought there died. If they had committed sin, the animals were sin offerings. They brought in the animals died in behalf of the person who had sinned. And what the Lord was showing here is two things. One, that sin is a very terrible thing and that something has to die. Something had to die in order to have those even atone for one year. And also that this is where we die out to our old wills. 
This was a, this was a dying altar. This is where death happened. And when we come to the Lord and you repent of your sins, folks, you die out to your old will. You die out to your old ways. You die out to the ways of the world. All that carnality and that, all of that wickedness in your life, you, you die out to that. You just, you crucify all of that. It's all gone. You lay it all aside. And that's where you die out and you become a new creature in Christ Jesus. Now, the second thing they did was there was a labor of water here. This represents repentance. This represents water baptism. Water baptism. Again, I'm going to give you some scriptures on that. I'm breezing on through here pretty quickly because I, uh, I want to emphasize some other things here. And uh, if you look at Mark 16, 6, uh, Mark 16, 16, he that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. Baptism is essential. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. But he that believeth not shall be damned. And uh, just moving on through some other scriptures here. I'm looking here now at Acts 2 and 38. I believe that's our next verse that we're looking at. Pushing that one aside a little bit. Uh, All right, Acts 2.38, and I'm going to read verse 41 too as well. Look at 38, I'm going to read that verse again. We just read it. Then Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized. Repent and be baptized. Every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ. If you don't know how to be baptized, there it is right there. For the remission of sins. Remission of sins means they're taken away. That means that you don't have to pay it later. If you went down to the, you had a light bill, you went down to the light company, the Florida Power, and you said, uh, I can't afford to pay this light bill. They said, okay, uh, you can put it off and pay it next month. We'll give you, we'll, we'll, we'll just forgive you for this month, but you've got to make it up next month. But if you went down there and you gave them the light and said, I can't pay it this month, and the lady looks at you and said, it's remitted. That means you don't pay for it. You understand what I'm saying? If they just forgive you, you've got to pay it later. But if they remit it, it means it's already paid for. Our sins have been paid for. Praise God. And this is what for the remission. Be baptized in his name for the remission. That means taken away. All taken away. No more required upon us. For the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Uh, look at verse 41. Then they that gladly received his word were baptized. And the same day there was added unto them about 3,000 souls. Added unto them was the 120 who originally had received the baptism of the Holy Ghost, including Mary, the mother of Jesus, and the, the, the apostles and all of them, the others that were with them, 120 altogether. And there was added to them 3,000 souls. Notice here that it's not the small number added to the big number, but the big number added to the small number because the small number, 120, was the church. So the others were added to that church. Praise the Lord. You're always added to the church and not the church added to something else. Did I make sense there? <laughs> all right. That's for free. Whatever. If you say, well, I don't, I don't, that's all right. We'll just go ahead on with it. All right. I'm going to move on here. Praise God. Amen. You're a good audience. God love you. Uh, and then the Acts, I'm going to use a, a couple more here. These are all old hat to most of you. Look at Acts uh, 1048. 
Let's go to let's go to Acts eight five. I'll cover that one as well. Acts eight five. Praise God. Let's see. Here we go. All right. Acts eight five. Then Philip went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ unto them. Now, we don't know what happened there until we read a little further down. Look at verse 14. Look at verse 14. I'm reading here now in Acts 8:14. This is Philip still in Samaria. Now, when the apostles which were at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent unto them Peter and John, who, when they were come down, prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Ghost. For, verse 16, for as yet he, the Holy Ghost, he, was fallen upon none of them, only they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. So the whole city of Samaria was baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus by Philip. But they hadn't received the Holy Ghost yet. Now, Peter and John went there for this specific reason, that they might receive the Holy Ghost. Verse 17, then laid they their hands on them, and they received the Holy Ghost. Meaning that the Holy Ghost was also very essential, very necessary for them to be saved. Now, I'm going to Acts 8.48. Acts 8.48. Praise God. I'm sorry, 1048, not 8. Acts 1048. This is where the first Gentiles received the baptism of the Holy Ghost. Peter's preaching to them. The baptism of the Holy Ghost was poured out upon them. They, and they knew they had the Holy Ghost, for they heard them speak with tongues. Verse 46, for they heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. Now, whenever they came, look at verse 47 says, can any man forbid water? In other words, even after they had, the, had received the Holy Ghost and they hadn't been baptized yet, you still had to be baptized. But baptism is essential. Praise the Lord. And it says, this, verse 47, can any man forbid water that these which have been baptized, which should, should not be baptized, which have received the Holy Ghost as well as we. Verse 48, and he commanded, Peter commanded them to be baptized in the name of the Lord. Then prayed they him to This is Cornelius and his, all of his relatives were there and they were all baptized. They received the Holy Ghost, spoke in other tongues. The Jews that were with Peter knew they had received the Holy Ghost. But Peter says, that's not enough. You still got to be baptized in Jesus' name. I, I received the Holy Ghost before I was baptized. I went to the altar, repented, received the Holy Ghost all the first night I ever went to an altar, 16 years old. And when I got all through, they said, now it's time to be baptized. And it was like midnight. I don't know how late, 11, I have no idea. It took me down to the bio, and there was about, about two or three or four of us. They baptized us in salt water. Praise the Lord. No matter if you're Running water, fast water, fresh water, waterfall water, baptistry water. It doesn't matter. You're baptizing water. They baptized me in salt water, so I was salted down. <laughs> Praise God. Amen. So God love you. Amen. So some people are baptized with the Holy Ghost, and then they're baptized in the name of Jesus. But baptism in his name has got to be there as well. Praise God. Amen. And then, of course, 
Scripture teaches us also in 19, uh, 5, this is where Paul was traveling and he came to Ephesus and he found some disciples. Verse chapter 19, verse 2, he said unto them, have you received the Holy Ghost since you believed? Notice here that he was concerned about them having the Holy Ghost. Paul did. Verse 3, they said unto him, uh, they said, we have not so much heard without being the Holy Ghost. We don't know anything about it in the Holy Ghost or Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, I guess, is more the way we would say it today. This is the old English style. And he said unto them in the third verse, under what then were you baptized? They said unto him, John's baptism. Oh, you're going back to John the Baptist before Jesus, during Jesus' earthly ministry. John the Baptist was preaching. Oh, you were baptizing John's baptism, which is baptism of repentance. Then verse 4, then said Paul, John verily baptized with the baptism of repentance, saying unto the people that they should believe on him which should come after him, that is, on Christ Jesus. And when they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. They were baptized. And then Paul laid hands upon them, and they received the baptism of the Holy Ghost. Uh, they spoke, and they spake with tongues and prophesied. And so I'm just trying to point out to you here that the plan of salvation was way back there in that tabernacle. And I'm going to put this chart back up here and... Uh, We're going to talk to you a little bit more about it because when you go past these things, you go inside. Now, listen to me very carefully here. I've got about 15 minutes, and I'm going to wind this up here for us. When you go inside, everything inside was gold. If it was of wood, it was overlaid with gold. Nothing was brass on the inside. Now, let me just say this. When we come to God, we repent of our sins, the brazen altar. We're baptized in Jesus' name, and then we enter into the God's presence with his spirit. Entering into the, the holy place of us applies to the receiving of the baptism of the Holy Ghost, and you come into the body of Christ, into the church. Now, we think of the church maybe sometimes as the building. That's not the, that's not the church. The body of believers is the church, and the church is well wide, world <laughs> Well, right. Worldwide. And, uh, this is a, we are a part of that worldwide church. Praise the Lord. And God has given us this local body of believers here and we are in the church of the Lord. Now, when you go inside, went inside of that holy place, there was a golden, the golden uh, candlesticks, as they were called, menorah. And, uh, they had seven golden candlesticks on them, and they were level. They poured oil into one end, and it filled up oil all the way across. It's special olive oil that they used for that. They lit this every morning, every night. It burned all night long, and every morning they snuffed it out. It was not lit. It was lit only for the night. And this was made of solid and pure gold, and that craftsman knew exactly how to build it because God told him how to do it. On the opposite side, this was on the south side of the tabernacle, on the left. On the right-hand side was a table, a table of showbread. These all had dimensions and everything. This was made of shittim wood overlaid with gold. And it had, a, it had a, a, a top to it, a crown around the sides. And every morning, there were 12 loaves of bread that were placed on this table of showbread. They represented the 12 tribes of Israel. 
any of the priests who went inside to minister, like to light these candles and so forth, or to put the bread here, any of them could eat of that bread. Any of them could eat of the bread. Nobody else but them, they could eat the bread. And so the table show bread here, and these had a significant meaning. Now listen to me closely, folks. This represented the Spirit of God, and this represents the Word of God. The Word of God, the bread of life. You know, praise the Lord. The Word of God is very essential to our salvation. So is the Spirit. Now listen to me very closely on what I'm going to say here. There are some churches who believe in the Word but not the Spirit. They believe that the Word is everything, but they deny the Word where it talks about the Spirit. But they don't believe in the Spirit. They don't believe in the Holy Ghost. They say it's not for us today. Really? When did it stop? I have. I've got it. Many of you have got it. I know I've got it. I speak in tongues. I spoke in tongues when I got it. I know many people that do. You know, we, you know, God operates through the Spirit, speaking in tongues and giving gifts and so forth in the church. All those kind of things. It's here. But they deny that. They said, oh, it's only the word, only the word. No, no, it's the spirit and the word. Are you with me on that? And it's, but it's not just the spirit. It's not just the spirit. It's also the word. In other words, folks, it always has to harmonize with this word. That's why I'm such a strong believer on the word. Because the spirit will never conflict with the word. It'll always be in harmony with the word. And the Bible tells us in one place over there in Exodus, uh, in Leviticus, that there was uh, a couple of the sons of Aaron, I think it's here, yeah, sons of Aaron, who brought strange fire into the tabernacle. It should have come from this altar out here. Let's see. You can't see that. I'm sorry. It should have come from this altar here and came inside and was put here. But they brought strange fire. They brought fire from somewhere else. And the Lord said, no, 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 I told you not. I'm sorry, I hit the, hit the button over here. Anyhow, uh, I'm, yeah, let's see here. I I messed up. That's easy for me to do. Okay, Matt, thank you. I don't know. Anyhow, I'm going to talk to you while he's fixing that. But the... Uh, we have to have the Spirit and the Word. Praise the Lord. And we have to have the Word that will substantiate. The Word will always give us... The word will always give us the assurance. So these two priests of Aaron, sons of Aaron, brought strange fire, not from this altar, not from this altar here, and was taken in here into the inside of the, but they brought strange fire and the Lord slew them. The Lord struck them down, killed them. They were dead. 
Man, Aaron was upset. Those were his sons. He had other sons too, but those two of his sons, he said, I don't care. They disobeyed the word. They brought strange fire. Now, strange fire represents a strange spirit, odd things. There's a freedom we have in worship. But sometimes, once in a while, somebody goes a little crazy. I don't mean people who receive the Holy Ghost and they're thankful that God has saved them. Maybe they've come from somewhere else and they come and they bring some kind of a funny way about them. I've seen, I've seen some odd things. I've seen some real strange things. In my ministry here in this church for 50 years, it had been this location 50 years, but in the 50 years we've been here, that had been a couple of times I've told somebody to sit down. I've, I've got stepped in the pulpit and said, you sit down. No, no, no. One guy I told him, I said, either you sit down or you go out the door there. If you can't sit down. He turned to the usher and said, can he tell me to do that? I think it's Brother Mason. Brother Mason said, yeah, he can. He's pastor. The guy looked around and he turned and walked out. That's okay because he was trying to do his own thing. You understand what I'm saying? Strange fire. So the word keeps us all straight. The word is always straight, folks, always straight. This is why I use so many scriptures to show you. In the mouth of two or three witnesses, let every word be established. So in that tabernacle then, amen, there was the word and there was the spirit, and they have to be in the church, and they're equal and they're together. A ship has to have, the old sail ships had to have the sails to sail across the sea, but they had to have a, a rudder in the water. That rudder would keep it straight and send it where it needed to go. It just couldn't just sail across the sea and be shipwrecked someplace. But that rudder, and on the other hand, you couldn't get out there and just stick the rudder in the water and have no sails. You just sit there and go nowhere. So you've got to have spirit in the word. Everybody with me? Finally, in this first, uh, this holy place, and there's two parts of this, uh, inside of this tabernacle. Incidentally, this one here, this, this was 15 feet across. I'm giving you the footage, not the cubits and everything. 15 feet across and 45 feet deep. This one here was 15 feet long here. I mean, 30 feet long, 15 across. This was 15 by 15, and the tabernacle was 15 feet high. 15, that picture that I showed you here a while ago. Right here. 15 feet from here up here. 15 feet. And you had these two rooms, so to speak, in the back. And there's a veil that hung right across here. And there was an altar of incense that was in front. This altar represented consecration. This altar is repentance. This is baptism. But this one is consecration. It's whenever you'd want to get closer to God and you'd put incense on. This was a fire on this altar, but this altar was inside of the church. Many of you, after you're saved, you still come to the altar. You still pray. You're not praying back through. You're not repenting of some, maybe sometimes we do. We repent of something that we've done or said or we shouldn't have done. I realize that too. But sometimes it's just getting closer to God. It's that altar of consecration. And then there was a veil that hung across here. And behind that veil was the Holy of Holies. And this was 15, uh, was 15, uh, uh, feet cube. It was cube. Every, there's a cube, 15 feet. And in that, in that cube was the Ark of the Covenant. There's a picture of the Ark and the Covenant. And it looks something like that. 
It was uh, had staves. This is how they carried it. And those staves were always made of pure gold, gold over, uh, I think they were wood made it overplated with gold. This was all overplated with gold. This was all solid gold. And then these cherub angels were sitting on top inside of this box. This was the lid. Inside of it was three things. There was the Ten Commandments that was given to Moses. There was Aaron's rod that budded. That's the story where the Lord said, whosoever rod buds, this is the one that I shall be, shall be my priest. I won't go into detail on that one, but that rod was in there. And also there was a pot with manna in it. Manna never survived from one day to the other, but that manna survived forever in a golden pot, and it was put inside. And I read that to you in some of these earlier scriptures. And what <coughs> I'm pointing out to you here is that all of this is a type, praise the Lord, of us being in the church and in the present. And this represents God's extended heaven down on earth to us. We are in the church, but the Lord, praise the Lord, is also here with us from time to time. Amen. We may get a touch from heaven. You may get a word from God. You may get uh, an angel may visit somebody, you know. I've never had that experience. I know the Lord's spoken to me more times than one to my heart. He's spoken to me through the scriptures. Just definitely, I could tell you several times that he has. Never think some of you have had experiences. But God knows how to speak to us. And he speaks to us, praise the Lord, and lets us know because one day, folks, we're going to walk streets of gold. This was 15-foot cube. I put it in feet because it, uh, I break it down. It was in cubits and everything. But it's 15-feet cube. It might interest you to know that the holy city that's described in the, in the 22nd chapter, 21st, 22nd chapter, I think 22nd chapter of Revelation, it says, brings it out that it's, and this is putting it in our, in our distances, 1,500-mile cube. Would you believe it? 1,500 mile cube. If you went this way 1,500 miles, this way 1,500 miles a square, and then go up 1,500 miles a cube. This is what the holy city was that John saw coming down out of heaven. We've got a great hope, folks. And God had it all wrapped up in a little package in the Old Testament in these objects. But to us, it's a spiritual thing. And one day the Lord's coming back, and he's going to take us home to be with him in glory. And I don't believe it's going to be very far away. I don't think it's very far. Let's stand together and give God the praise. You've been a good audience through uh, ups and downs here with us tonight. God love you.